Right, so let me give you guys a little bit of testimony of what happened last week. If you guys don't know, we took, uh, there's about 100 kids, a little less than 100, uh, that went up to uh, Divide, Colorado. We went up there to the Nazarene Camp um, Golden Bell. And this is something we do each year. We call it Winter National. We get together with other churches in the community. And uh, it was, all the other years have been great, but this year, um, <laughs> God moved. He did. It was unbelievable. So just a little bit of what happened was uh, we went up there and, and uh, we chose this year for us um, youth pastors to be the teachers rather than bringing somebody in. And then we brought a guy in that usually does Young Life and, and, and different worship around the country. And man, he did an awesome job. Uh, had a lot of fun with the, fun with the kids. And from the very start, uh, Dan uh, Van Camp from E-Freeze, the youth pastor over there, he gave the first talk, and it was just, we went through Matt, or 2 Timothy uh, chapter uh, 2, verses 20 through 22, and it's just talking about what vessels we are, you know, from some for dishonor, from some for honor, and that you can be cleansed from the latter, you know, and it goes through that, and then it says, flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, love, peace, and these things we wanted to present to the kids, and each one of us took a verse, and so when Daniel opened up, he basically just laid it out flat that you guys are nothing special. <laughs> Which, that was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> it's on. Um, you know, just talking about being in the master's house, and you're just a fork. You're a utensil. Like, you're, just, you're there to be used by him. The master of the house is the most important thing in that story. And being used by him is a privilege that you don't think too much of yourself, right? We didn't want to bash him and bring him down and humble them. But it was so good. Daniel did it in such a loving way. And then Justin was, uh, uh, Justin Smith taught the next session on Saturday in the morning. And uh, just, just opening your heart, letting God come in, let him deal with you, let him make his home with you. You know, that, that the master of the house wants to be involved in your life. And then, um, you know, in that moment, just even praise and worship, you could just feel like it, something big was going to happen that night. And we've been praying for this and asking and begging the Lord that he just pour out his spirit on these kids. And so the last session, I had the privilege to be able to teach, and it was just, it was straightforward. We went through sin. We went through some hard sin. We talked about hard things and just confronting, and what does that look like in your lives? Flee it. And the whole life is not about fleeing, because we, that would be a, a lame life to always be watching what you're doing, right, and always running from this sin. But it says right after that, here's what you should be doing is pursuing these things. And so as we went through that, the kids were broken, it's something I haven't seen since I was in high school. It's something I've been longing to see, and God just broke those kids. So out of the seats and everything, everybody just poured forward. There was, you know, maybe 30 kids that came before the cross. We pulled the cross over in front of the stage and said, you guys just come up here. It wasn't an emotional thing. We talked about emotional things, but I just said, you guys come lay it before the cross, okay? If you've been walking away, just put it back down. Give it back to Jesus. He wants to fight your battles. He wants to fight your depression. We went through all that, and these kids, you know, it's 30 of them, and then, then a whole bunch more where the whole aisle is now full with the kids, and like two-thirds of the kids came up, and it was, we needed some tissues, let me tell you. I mean, they were bawling their eyes out. So many kids didn't even know why. They were just broken. It was so cool, so amazing. And we went on for like a half hour of just praising God and worship as that whole time went on, and these kids are just broken. And then we went into a session, we had sessions out after each one where we got together with our leaders and we went through questions for about a half hour. And the kids just continued into that, still coming in just sobbing, you know. And the way that these kids opened up, it was, we were, every one of us leaders that was in the room with them could not believe what was going on. As they just were broken, they opened up and were like, holy cow, I can't believe you're sharing this with the other peers, you know, the, the struggles you have. And everything was just laid out 
so it could be dealt with. Like the repentance came. It was so good and exciting. So, yeah, you guys, thank you so much for sending kids up there and praise God, right? We really appreciate you guys that jumped in, and you guys, a lot of you paid for kids to go, and it was awesome. I had a room of just three boys, but these boys didn't know Jesus really yet. You know, maybe they knew a little bit about him, but seeing them broken, <laughs> I mean, it's so good, guys, so good. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you guys for supporting. We had a blast, too. I mean, the games were exciting. You know, it, it was so much fun. We had big old, just, uh, I don't know, we had one song, where, or we had a talent show, and all the kids I got the two guys that were emceeing up there to sing a song, and it was absolutely horrible. And so the kids are loving it. So then the whole, like it was like a whole mob came up there, and all the kids are jumping up and down with them singing, like Greatest Showman. And just, we had such a fun time with these kids and being able to pour into their lives. And so continue to lift these kids up, because I know they came back to hard places, hard homes, and uh, hard situations that they needed to deal with. And the Lord had challenged them on that, and how to deal with it, and how to go after him and chase after him. So... Yeah, exciting. So that's part of what I've been going through, and even the week before of just getting prepared for that, and uh, God's really been challenging me on, is I beg him to work and to see neat things happen. He always keeps returning me back to, where is your life with me? What does your repentance look like? And that's just been the theme, and as I was going through the scriptures and I really wanted to look for a character. You guys know I love doing uh, characters in the Bible and, and what they're about and, and studying their lives. And so I, was like, I would really like to do a king, Lord. I mean, if there's a king that kind of goes like what we, with what you've been showing me in the last few weeks, that would be awesome. And of course, he, there's there's person in the Bible for everybody, right? There's, <laughs> there's a situation everyone goes through. And so what we're going to study through is the life of Josiah this morning. King Josiah, he was a king over Judah. Now you can find it story of him in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23, but I want to go through 2 Chronicles 34 and 35 this morning with you. I like that part of what it describes in his life. It was more details there and just stuff that the Lord really spoke to me in what he did and, and how he was king. And so before we get into that, let's just pray and, and uh, just lift up this study. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much. We just want to lift up Sean to you and just continue to pray for him as I'm sure he's in the first service and, and getting ready for the second. Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your spirit on him, that he would have awesome, powerful things through you to, to say and to lift up that congregation there and uh, just to equip them and strengthen them and give them testimony of how awesome you are, even in small towns, Lord, and you want to do powerful things. And so, Lord, we lift him up to you. Give him a safe trip as he comes back home today too, him and Justin. And uh, Lord, we thank you. We just thank you again just for what you did over the weekend, last weekend, uh, with the kids. And Lord, I want to lift them up again to you and just ask that you'd strengthen them, make them bold, uh, uh, help them as they travel through the temptations that they're looking at, Lord, and that you just guard their hearts. And Lord, they could be your witness and your light um, to everybody that they're around, all these high schools that are here and uh, in the middle schools, Lord. Lord, I just lift up this morning to you and I just pray that... You just speak, Lord, that the errors that, that I know I'll make, and, and Lord, that you would just go right through that and just pierce our hearts this morning, Lord. Bring us back to you, and as we call out to you and we ask for things from you and, and we want to delight in you, Lord, I pray that you would just show us what it is to get to that place. And just showing and talking as we go through this repentive life and showing through just Josiah and what he did and the, <laughs> the unbelievable things he did even as he was really young, Lord. So just encourage us this morning, Lord, and, and uh, teach us. 
how you want us to live out as, as your children. And we just pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, this morning, I, I, I'm not going to have the usual excitement I have. I'm feeling awful. I had the, the little cold thing, and I was telling my wife last night, I was like, man, this is going to be horrible tomorrow. Like, I do not feel good at all. And she's like, well, good. The Lord can use you then. <laughs> I was like, thanks, wife. <laughs> yeah, she's right, though. I'm like, okay, here we go. Um, God's good, and I know he has awesome things to say through this. And So let's go ahead and look at Josiah. If you guys are over in Second Chronicles chapter uh, 34, I want to go through a little bit of his history because I think his history is an important thing to look at, right? His history is, a lot of us will say that our history is, is made who we are. And I think that's some truth. I mean, we have a lot of character in how we grew up, right? We have a lot of truths that we believe that we grew up with. We have a lot of different ways that we do things. And you guys that are married, you know this especially because you come together with your wife, it's like two different families coming together and you got to work it out now, right? Well, my family used to do it this way and and your family did it this way, how are we going to make it work between us? There's also a bad part about it is that sometimes we'll give excuses for ourselves because that's how we grew up. That's, uh, that's who my people group are. You know, I'm ornery and feisty because I'm Italian, so you're just going to have to live with it, right? I don't know if you guys have heard that one. You know, it, it, wherever your background and giving an excuse for where you actually are with Jesus Christ now. Like, we've left those things. And so looking at Josiah, Josiah would have the biggest excuses ever just if he didn't follow the Lord because of how he was raised and because of the grandparents that he had and, and his dad that he had. The guy, I couldn't believe what his parents did, especially his dad. I mean, just, and his grandpa, just awful, awful kings uh, over Judah. First of all, his, I don't know if you guys knew this, but his great-grandpa is Hezekiah. Hezekiah was pretty good. Hezekiah was a good king. Uh, he did a lot of things for Judah. Um, he reinstituted a lot of deals. He got the temple going again. He got the Passover. I mean, he did a lot of neat things, kept the feasts going. The biggest thing he's famous for, you guys might know him about, is Hezekiah's tunnel there in Jerusalem. And some of you guys that were there, I don't know if you guys got to walk it. But that was a big deal because it, it gave water to Jerusalem um, when they're in battle. And it's a, it's a neat tunnel. If you guys ever have a chance to go there, go ahead and walk through it. Unless you're claustrophobic, um, don't do it because it's long and uh, tight some places, especially when you're passing people. So but that's what he's known for. He was a good king, and uh, he did have problems with his pride. He started, you know, gathering things for himself, um, but he, he got past it. He, he actually was decent. But then he has this son, Manasseh, and, and it talks about in chapter 33. Now, he was only 12 years old when he became king, and you'll find out a lot of these guys became king when they were very young. Even Josiah was only eight years old when he became king. Well, Manasseh, he was a guy that it says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations from what the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. It says that he even did it worse than the nations that had been cast out before him. So this guy was setting up high places. He was making carved images. He was going and setting up these, these images everywhere. It even says that he was doing it in the courtyards of the temple. It said he was setting up these, these idols. And then it even goes into Asherah. He took one of the gods and put it inside of God's temple. Horrible. Now, this guy had nothing to do with God. He didn't want anything to be around him. He was awful. Now, in, if you guys go through the story of him in 2 Kings, 2 Kings kind of just leaves you there looking at this guy as he is the worst person ever. Now, I don't know why 2 Kings did that, but in 2 Chronicles, it goes through and it talks about in verses 10 through 17 in chapter 33 about how he was restored. 
And it actually, he got taken away by the Assyrians. He got hooks in his nose. That's how they kind of led people away, or they put them in their jaw. And they'd lead them away because of humiliation, right? Gets over there, completely gets humbled, turns back to God, and comes back and, and tosses everything that he'd set up. And he does okay at the very last of his life. But then Amon comes in, and Amon's his son. He was 22 years old when he became king. We can read through his little parts, a little short section there in chapter 33, verse 21. It says, Amon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had uh, done. For Amon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made and served them. And he did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had humbled himself. But Amon trespassed more and more. Then his servants conspired against him and killed him in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who conspired against King Amon. And then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. And so you see from Josiah, he doesn't have a very good beginning, does he? I mean, all he's learned, he's only eight years old when he comes king, but he hasn't learned very many good things. He's seen evil done in this nation, and he's, he's, he's been a part of this. And even back to his, his grandfather. So why in the world would this guy come out of that and be okay? Everybody has a decision, right? I mean, even Manasseh, after he had been raised up by Hezekiah, he still turns away from the Lord. And even later on, Josiah, his sons turn away from God. It's because every single person has a decision to make, don't they? Like, you don't have to just live with what you've been given. Every person has a decision. He would have easily been able to set before God and give the same excuse that a lot of people have given, is that the reason I'm evil is because I had an evil grandpa, I had an evil father, and so what else would I know? But instead, we're going to see a very different story with Josiah. He'd been given a life to fail, but God was going to turn it into something awesome. And so instead, he ends up becoming a godly man like his father David. And he did many great things to turn Judah back to God. We can look real quick over there in chapter 34, where it starts out there. And we'll just read the first three verses. But it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And then we'll get into that a little bit later. But like I was saying before, is that there's times that we want to use those things in our past to give us excuse, and we can't. Here's a great example, and as we read that, just remember that today, that it's not up to what your past is, it's up to what your present is and what you guys want to do with that and how you guys want to decide to be. And so if you guys have a problem right now and your wife is always telling you that you have this anger problem and you're saying, well, it's because I'm hungry, you need to feed me. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not a good excuse. Get over yourself. I mean, especially your wife's wanting to make you lunch or dinner. Like, that's something I had to come to because I, I used to use that. I mean, I grew up with that excuse. That's, that's what we had in our family. If you were angry or whatever, you just didn't mess with dad until he ate. You know, he'd come home from work, he'd go take his five-minute nap, and then he'd go eat dinner, and then you could ask him the questions you wanted, like, hey, can I have a new car? You know, that's when you gave the big questions because otherwise it was like, get away from me. Or I remember one time I was trying to tickle my dad when he was sleeping. I learned real quick that you don't do that. That hurt. <laughs> So there's these things that we give our excuses, but I was raised and I thought that that's what happens. When you're hungry, you have that excuse and you can be whatever you want. You can be as angry as you want to be. 
It's not true. Here I had this wife that was just this poor little thing that is getting just an onslaught of anger from me as I'm like, you better feed me or I'm going to bite you, you know, or tear you to limb to limb. And she's just like panicking, trying to get out there and seeing how awful that was. I had to realize that it wasn't about me. It wasn't about my past, that I had this wife that I needed to learn how to live and love with and treat her like she needed to be treated. And that was just one of the small things that I realized in my life that I needed to move on from, that it wasn't about that. That I couldn't keep giving excuses for who I was because I was that new creation in Jesus Christ. Just like what Josiah gets to do. He sees that he's not that man. He's not that man that his dad was. He's not that man that his grandfather was. I know there's some of us that struggle with that, that as we see our lives fall apart or we, we dip into some sin, all of a sudden we see our parents in it and it's like, oh great, I'm who I never wanted to be. Don't be hopeless in that situation though. Don't just rest there and give up and say, well, I guess this is how it's going to be because my dad was like his dad and so I guess that's just what it's destined to be. I'm so thankful that my dad was not like my grandpa. My dad's one of the ones that changed it for our family. He's one of the ones that gave his life to the Lord at 16 years old, much like Josiah here, and changed his whole life around and was an awesome father to me. Something that he never had. And he could have easily given an excuse of why he wasn't a good father, but he did everything and he knew he was new in Christ and changed it all up. Thank the Lord for that. Because now I get to get even better with my kids and train them up even in a better way because I've also chosen the way of the Lord. And so don't get stuck in that thing where the world says it's hopeless for you. This is, what you, this is the card you've been dealt, so you've got to deal with it. Not at all. The cards that we've been dealt with is Jesus Christ, and that's awesome because he conquers everything, doesn't he? Gives us that new life. Praise God for that. So, verse 3 in chapter 34, it says, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek God of his father David. In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images and the carved images and the molten images. So here we see this guy becomes king at eight years old. Can't do much then because, I mean, he's only eight years old. He's still got to learn some stuff, even about himself. But at 16 years old, in the eighth year, 16 years old, he's like, I'm going to seek God. Where in the world did that come from? You guys see his surroundings here? I mean, there's still idolatry that's happened. This has not been removed. This is still leftovers from his father. And it doesn't give us any hint to anybody that was around there. There were some good uh, prophets that were around at that time. There were still some people that were in love with the Lord and, and knew him as the true God. But it doesn't ever reference that. It just says that he decided to seek after God at 16 years old. And I love that because it's not hopeless for our youth. It's not like, oh, you guys will get it someday. Right now, you can go ahead and act out. And you'll, you know, when you get to be in your 20s, you'll understand what God's about when real life hits you. No, right here, this guy, 16, he says, I'm going to fall after the Lord. And then it goes on and it says that the 12th year, which means he's 20 years old, he starts actually purging Jerusalem. And then he goes to Judah. And he starts casting out everything that his dad stood for. That's a big deal, guys. I mean, I don't, how many of us that our parents, we grew up in a very harsh home or whatever, found Jesus or walking with Jesus and can actually go back and cast out those things that, that were put there that our fathers established? You see how hard that would be to confront all that? I know he's got the authority of being a king, absolutely. And so we might give the excuse, well, guess what? He's a king, so of course he can have the authority to go in there and tell them that's not the way it is. But I think we, when we say that, we forget who we are in Jesus Christ because we have the king of all kings that gives the authority for us to absolutely be able to do that. 
There is no excuse there. It's all through him. So he goes and he casts it all out. So this guy begins at 8, sought the Lord at 16, purged the land at 20 years old, and then we'll read a little bit later in verse 8 that he began to repair the temple at 26 years old. This guy's getting a lot done when he's young, isn't he? He's on the move. Watch out. Now, repentance is going to be the main focus this morning. I want to go over and seeing how Josiah worked out and how he dealt with Judah. And so there's going to be three different truths about repentance that we're going to find as we go through chapter 34. So you guys that are taking notes, here's these three truths of repentance that we're going to go over. The first one is, is that repentance is going to be hard and it's going to have drastic measures. It's going to be hard and there are going to be drastic measures. The second one is that the house is restored. The house will be restored. And the third one is mercy is poured out. Three truths about repentance. It's going to be hard and drastic measures to be taken. The house is going to be restored and mercy is poured out. And so this first one, the hard and drastic measures. So read with me through three through seven. For in the eighth year of the reign, while he was still young, he began to seek God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images and the carved images and the molded images. They broke down the altars of Baals in, the, in his presence and the incense altars which were above them cut down. And the wooden images, the carved images and the molded images, he broke in pieces. He made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And he did, uh, so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simon, or Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and all around with axes. And when he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, he beaten the carved, carved images into plow, powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. And he returned to Jerusalem. So he got serious, is what it wants to say. Like he wasn't messing around at all. At 20 years old, he goes out and he ends up destroying all the high places, which the high places where they would go up and they would worship God at first. And if you guys look back through the history, it's kind of like they set up these new places. Rather than being in the temple, they said, well, here, this is more convenient to worship God over here. And so they started making God their own. As soon as you start moving him where you want him to be, all of a sudden you're the one that's on the throne. And so they started slowly doing that. Well, then these high places ended up turning into these other places where they could worship Baal, Ashtoreth, and other gods from other nations. The same ones that God had cast out of that land, they were bringing back in. And so they made these high places. Now, it was away from the temple, so that was kind of okay, because it was a different deal. You know, these people are just into their own thing. They're not hurting anybody, so just leave them alone over here. Well, then it started just creeping in. Finally, it gets into the holy city, and next thing you know, Ammon has been putting stuff in the, in the temple. So he comes through, he destroys those high places, he wipes them out, then he goes after these different images. He goes, and I, I, I find it interesting that he gives three different images here, doesn't he? He gives a wooden one, a carved one, and a molded one. He's basically saying, I don't care the value of what needs to be taken out of the situation. It needs to be taken out. So he starts with the wooden ones, which those weren't very expensive. It's pretty easy. You know, like your grandpa can go and carve something up. He can wheel you up something, right, out of wood. But then you've got people that are skilled in stone, that's those carved images. And that's what we see a lot of nowadays that are remnants of from different, uh, those cultures back then of their gods because they were carved out of stone. So we still have that. So that was the next skill level. So you're going to pay a little bit more for one of those. 
And then you go on to the molten ones, which was where they would actually have a cast and they would pour them, where they would design them out of special metals. And so you see the different types here and the different expenses that were used in these. And Josiah is like, I don't care. <laughs> Evil's evil. I don't care how much you invested into it. You need to get rid of it. So no matter how many years have been invested in whatever is there, it needs to be getting ri- gotten rid of. If it's molding, it's got to go. And the little cheap things you've been doing, it's got to go. And not only does it just not need to go, but what does he say that is done with it? He made dust of them. Like he obliterated, I mean, it's just done. There's no way this is coming back. He made them dust. Like I imagine the guys that he gave this task, he's like, okay, you see that big old statue over there? I want it to be dust. And they're like, are you serious? <laughs> you know what it is to turn that into dust? Like for real? Yeah. I want, I want dust out of that thing because that means nothing. That's how awful that, just get rid of it. Now, if you guys notice, his grandpa didn't do what he did. You know, I told you guys, Manasseh, he went and he restored or he was, came to repentance and the rest of his life he was good. He put away all of those things, but he did not destroy them. And look at, in verse what is it, 20, yep, 22 of chapter 33. It's talking about Amon, and it says, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done for Amon's sacrifice to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made, and he served them. So the ones he made were still around. Maybe they were put away because that's what needed to be done, but they still existed. Such a key thing for us that when we get rid of that and we come to repentance, when we go to God and say, this is what's in my life, it needs to be pulverized. Like made to dust. Not, uh, yeah, Lord, thank you so much for freeing this from me. I'm going to put it over here. I'll never touch it again, I promise. But it's still there. It's still there. I mean, how many of you guys have to hide stuff in your, in your house so you don't eat it? Or your, your spouse has to hide it from you, <laughs> Right? My wife hides cookie dough from me because I'm horrible with that stuff. If it's there, I can't stop myself. I told you, you got to either throw it in the trash or hide it good, okay? <laughs> I don't want any of it, but I do. It needs to be destroyed. Get it out. I remember my, and I, I hope my aunt never listens to this, but my aunt, she used to walk in her sleep really bad. She would wake up in the middle of the night with a whole pie pan next to her that was empty, she would eat in her sleep <laughs> and find all kinds of stuff all over her bed. So she would have to go, and if she made something that was delicious, she'd have to go hide it from herself in the house. Of course, that never works because she's the one hiding it. And that next morning, she's waking up with these little, what? Crumbs all over her bed and everything. <laughs> she needed to destroy that stuff because even in her sleep, she was going back to it. It's such a good example, though, what he's talking about here. And that he absolutely destroyed it. And that way the next generation doesn't even want to mess with it. The next generation doesn't even get into it. Right? We need to be careful with what we're doing in our next generation. Those things that we've had evils in our lives, we need to make sure that they're pulverized so that even our kids and our grandkids aren't getting into what we used to be into. So there isn't that interest there. Absolutely make it into powder. Then he goes on and he gets pretty serious here. He's not, I'm not done just making dust of all this stuff. Then it goes into that he says that he, you know, he broke down all this, uh, made it into dust. And then in verse four, he says he scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. That means, guys, he had to go dig them up or he had to open up the tomb. And this is the thing is that one of, his dad was one of these guys, wasn't it? 
His dad was one of these guys that probably he went back in and spread this dust over. That's a hard thing to do. He's a young man when he's doing this too. He goes in there, he throws the dust of all this stuff as is to say, this dies with you. I'm putting the cover back over this. This is something you should have taken to the grave with you. Some of those things, those hurts and those pains that maybe you guys have grown up with, things that were done to you, things, awful things. And I think that as I was going through this, the Lord really just spoke and was like, that's what needs to happen is those old things, those things that were in the past, those things that were with the parents, they need to just be grinded up, handed over to the Lord, buried, put with them, it's done. It needs to be taken care of. And so all those things that maybe you guys have struggled with, those things, those memories, those, those things that always come back and haunt you, give them to the Lord. And him grind them up and throw them in those graves so that they're no longer there. That they're buried and they're gone. Done away with. An example of moving on is what I see here. I see him moving on with his whole country and saying, let's move on. We're putting this with the dead. This is what the dead used to do. We don't do that anymore. Let's move on. Then, <laughs> that wasn't enough. In verse 5, he goes and he digs up the bones of the priest. The priest that used to worship these guys, right? He goes and digs up those bones, desecrates all of their graves, has no respect for them at all. And then on top of that, he just doesn't just pull them up, but then he goes and pulls them up and then he burns them, right? Obliterates them. Just completely wipes them out desecrated the, the priest who had led in idolatry and showing no respect to sin. He put sin right where it needed to be. He didn't just leave it there as these bones that could be remembered in this grave. No, he destroyed it <laughs> and burned it up. He's a pretty serious guy. I enjoy what he did. So, I find it interesting in verses 4 and 7, it also says that he's the one that was out there doing this. It says in verse 4 that they were breaking up balls in front of him in his presence. And then in 7, it says when he had broken down the altars and the wooden images. So it wasn't this decree from the king that says, here, this is what you guys need to go do. And this is what I expect from you. He was right there doing it. He was present for this. It was a personal vendetta to the thing that turned the people from their God. He was out to bring righteousness back. Now Christ will lead us, but we have to follow him, right? In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 4. Do you have that, Chris? That verse? Wake up. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, and it says this, Now thanks to be, God, be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Cool verse, huh? But that's who we go after. That's who we want to follow is after Jesus Christ because he's the one that leads us into that triumph. Josiah was following after God. He would made a decision, I'm going to follow after God. This is that process of turning. I don't know if you guys know, in, in the Greek, the repentance means a change of mind. It's like I'm, I changed my mind. I'm no longer doing these things that I was into. I'm changing it. And then in the Hebrew, it's to return or turn around. To return from what was being done. To turn back to the one. One of the things I was encouraging the kids is 
You know, we didn't want confessions of faith so that they could save themselves from hell. I think that's unfortunate that that is the main point that some people will make is presenting Jesus Christ in the gospel. Absolutely, he saves you from hell. He gives you eternal life, but that's not why I come to Jesus. Because when you come to Jesus in that sense, it's to say, Jesus, will you keep following me in my life where I'm going, and when we get to the end, can you save me from hell? Because that's why I asked you, so you could save me. Well, that part doesn't come till the end, so what happens in between that? Well, when we repent and we turn to God, that means here's this sin, here's these things that I'm involved in, here's my character, and I see this beautiful God over here. I see these beautiful ways. I see this beautiful law. I'm, I'm turning. I'm turning away from that sin and I'm going after him. And yeah, I get saved in the end, I get eternal life, but my reason for going is because I turn after a beautiful God. I turn to him because I see what he's done and I want him. Josiah, he's finding out how beautiful God is. As he sought him when he was 16 years old, he sees how beautiful he is and at 20, he's like, something's gotta be done. Let's turn from these evil ways. Let's turn to Jesus. Let's turn to God. And so we follow after Jesus Christ and he brings us into triumph, right? So I would ask you this, have we crushed into dust what is separated for us from God? Honestly, have you guys crushed and pulverized and turned into dust what has turned you from God? Or has it been this recurring thing where it's like, God, please, I cry out to you, help me get away from this sin. Turn me from my evil ways. And it's all good right then in that moment. And the next week we're right back onto the same deal. Isn't that frustrating? It is so frustrating, is it? We want to turn from the sin. We want to go back to our God who we find to be so beautiful. And next thing we know, we're back into sin again. And I think one of the reasons is, and I know in my own life as I was confronted and, and seeing that I haven't turned these things into dust. I haven't completely given them up. Absolutely in that moment, I'm about right before God saying, you take it all, God. I want only you. I want nothing to do with this sin. Please take it from me. I'm so sick of it. And it's genuine. I'm not playing any game there, but then it's the next thing is the next day even, all of a sudden it's on my mind again. And that's going to happen. That's temptation. We're going to have that. But then it's on there so much that it starts to get entertained in my head. Or there's an, a, a situation that I can't help myself and I just explode over. Or there's something that's drawing my attention away because I've allowed it to draw my attention away. And next thing I know, I'm not even spending time with the Lord anymore because I'm too busy with other things. It has to be absolutely crushed into dust, those things that separate us from God. Don't hide it away and play a game of roulette. When is this going to come back out? And I want to encourage you guys, as you return to sin, be encouraged in this, that if you practice not going there, it's going to get easier. You guys have to know that when you're departing from sin, it is so hard, and you've been practicing this for so many years Becoming that new creation, having your mind renewed, it does take a process, and so you may fall again, but it says, like in 1 John, we have an advocate in Jesus Christ if you do sin, so we still return back to him, and you do it less and less, and it gets so much easier to get away from that sin. And then next thing you know, you're done with that sin, and now he shows you another thing you need to deal with in your life, right? But it's so good, we get to that place where Paul was, and he's saying in the very end that I'm the chief of all sinners, because as we draw close to the light, 
we get exposed on who we really are. And all we can do is fall before a beautiful God and say, God, it's only through your work that I can be accepted. It's only through your work that I'm going to find repentance, that I'm going to find righteousness. But that act has to happen there too, doesn't it? There has to be something done about it. There is action on our side. It's not an action in favor for God, but repentance is something we have to do. It's a conscious decision that we have to go and grind those things up. We follow after him and he gives us that triumph. We go after the Holy Spirit and he leads us into all truth. Where's the work at though? It's just like if you guys are building, we go out to build a house, we go out to set up, we go out to spread whatever we're going to do, but we leave all the materials there on the ground and we expect God to do something with that. He's the one that brought the dump truck, he's the one that brought all the lumber, he's the one that brought everything that was needed, and we're sitting there going, okay, you going to build it too? And he's like, absolutely, I'm going to build it, but you guess what? You're the hammer. <laughs> You're the tool I'm going to use, right? You're the utensil in my house that I'm going to be using for this project. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. God, first of all, I'm not a very good hammer, okay? I'm more like a chair. <laughs> well, you can sit in it, you know, on the side and take your rest. He's all, no, I made you to be a hammer. And this is going to hurt a little bit, but this is what's going to happen. I'm going to use you to build this. I've already brought you the supplies to be able to do this. I already have the plan to be able to do it. I have the energy and the strength, but you're unwilling to be the tool. It's because of those things that get in the way. And so we move on to the second one. Or actually, I want to go through some verses with you guys. I forgot about these ones. So to have the place of victory, you guys, we have to walk in the spirit, right? We follow after Jesus Christ. He's the one that gives us triumph. The next one is in Galatians 5, 16, and 17. You guys know these scriptures. They're awesome. They're big ones that I would encourage you guys to memorize. Because as you fall into sin, this is one of the ones you'll go right back to. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. It's that battle. He promised, he says that's going to happen, but how do you overcome it? You walk in the Spirit. The other one is, is in Romans chapter 6, and I don't have that one up there, so I need you guys to turn with me over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 7, it says, Or do you not know that as many as us were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection." Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And then verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Right there, guys, laid out for us. That's where we reside. That's where we reside is in Jesus' crucifixion, and we're in that newness of life, that resurrection that he's given us, Right? Absolutely, the power and the supplies are given to us, but we need to have something done, right? We need to be able to let him use us. It isn't going to be a magical experience. 
It's actually going to be a very hard one, right? So on number two, the house is restored. So the second part of repentance, that first part being the hard things that need to take place, but then the second part is that the house gets restored. And that's talking about us. But as we go through the scriptures back over there in Second Chronicles, he starts going into and encouraging these guys that these are some of the things that need to take place now. That the house has to be built back up. So Second Chronicles 34, verse 8, it says, In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, this is when he's 26, he sent, and I'm going to butcher these names, I'm sorry guys. He sent uh, Saphon, governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joaz, the recorder, the repairer of the house of the Lord his God. His God. And when he came to uh, Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, and the Levites who kept the doors had gathered from the man, or from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim. From all of the remnant of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, in which they had brought back to Jerusalem. Then they had put it in the hand of the foreman who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore the house. They gave it to the craftsmen and the builders to buy hewn stone and timber for beams and to floor, the, to floor the house which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully. Their overseers were uh, Jahath and Obadiah, the Levites of the sons of uh, Mary, and Zechariah and Meshulam of the sons of uh, Kohathites to supervise. Others of the Levites, all of whom were skillful with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and were overseers of all who did the work in any kind of service, and some of the Levites were scribes of officers and gatekeepers. So they're going and they're restoring this whole thing. There's these sacrifices that are being made by the people. Time and money is given, isn't it? So there's sacrifices that have to take place. First, in repentance, we see the things that have to get, get rid of them, right? And now the house is going to be built. God's going to start changing I love that all the supplies are brought to the ones that were experienced, the ones that knew what they're doing. Like, we bring all the supplies. Like, here you go, God. You do this. I'm completely submitting all this stuff to you. You're the one that's going to do this work in this rebuilding, this refurbishing, this, this newness that he wanted to create, these new things in there. Because everybody else in my life, I've destroyed just like these fathers have destroyed this place. And so, Lord, I bring it back to you, and I want to give you all this. But it does take that sacrifice, doesn't it? This wasn't a freebie. I mean, this is one of those things that I, I find in air sometimes is that we think that the freebie is going to happen. Like, okay, just bring this in here. There isn't any sacrifice to it when Jesus said that there was going to be that. Can you imagine if they thought all this was just going to be done and they're like, okay, good, that got done. I didn't need to be involved in it. I didn't have to be a part of that. Instead, God has them. He has everyone, even the tribe of Benjamin. He goes out there and gets stuff from them to be able to come back and build the house and to restore it. The investment of time and money is given to restoration, which had led later on, as we get into it in verse 14, to finding the book of the law. And so as we go before God and we give him these things and we let him take control of us and he builds this house, then he starts pouring out his law and it gives us his word, doesn't he? And the thing is, the order of events here is very important because if we don't get rid of those things and we don't go and purge, we don't turn into dust those things that are causing us to sin, we just try to build the house or let him do it, there's still going to be stuff in there that needs to be taken care of. That's not how God does it. Can you guys imagine if they had left like one tiny little altar in the corner and we're like, hey, that's all right. 
That one, that one's, you know, that's nothing. It's just a little thing over there in the corner. It doesn't really, I mean, nobody's even going to look at it, right? And they went and restored the whole temple and all that and left that in there. Does that still defile that temple? Absolutely, because God said absolutely nothing is to be in there. It doesn't matter if it's in the little tiny corner, and that's what he calls us to as well. It doesn't matter if there's something tiny in the corner. Let's deal with it. So this house can be built. And so the order of events is so important and then that has to be taken, that purge has to take place and then the house can be built. Now in verse 14, when they had brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hil- uh, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. So this book had been lost since Hezekiah. Okay? That's the last time they ever got into the book of the law, which most people believe that it's the first five books of the Bible. Okay? They had all the law in there. And then verse 15, it says, Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. And so Shaphan carried the book to the king, and bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it to the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Saphon read it before the king. Okay, this is going to be a big moment. This is exciting. And I love the response that Josiah has here. It's not a small thing. In verse 19, thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah and uh, Achim, the son of Saphon, at an abandon. Uh, the son of Micah, and Saphon the scribe, and uh, Asiah, uh, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So, remember, Josiah's already been doing awesome things, hasn't he? He's already been doing powerful things. And so for me, when I look at this, I'm like, I would have had so much pride when I opened up that book. I would have been like, yeah, <laughs> I've been doing this without God's word. He's been speaking to me and I've been doing it without reading this book. Like it just showed me that, yeah, I'm right on. Of course I'm right on. Do you guys see how that happens sometimes? I mean, that's truthfully honest what I would be thinking, I think, in that moment. That I've been doing a good job as a king, and here's even proof from God to prove that I've been doing it. And he gave us these scriptures to show that I was right. But instead, look what he does. He still sees that they're falling short. I mean, the reason when he rips his clothes in there is because he's, he has this fear of God that comes upon him. He has this fear of God, this, this pure, awesome thing that God always calls us to, this fear of God that he has come upon him, and he tears his clothes in absolute grief because he thinks that God's wrath is going to be poured, and rightfully so. It had already been told that that's what was going to happen. So you can imagine he's reading through this. It wasn't a thing of, yeah, I've been doing everything right. It's like, wow, I am before a holy God that demands, demands that we do not turn against him, and we have. And so wrath is just knocking at the door. When is it going to come? And that's why he sends his guys away to go ask what's going to happen next. The example I think we can take from this is watch out for our haughtiness and what we're doing in our spiritual lives. Just because you think you might have it going on and you're doing really good as a good Christian, if the word of God is not 
hitting you like it does with Josiah, there's something up. I found that out over the weekend. Is that the, the, the word was poured out over that last weekend, guys. It was like something I hadn't had before in a, or hadn't had for a very long time. The power of the word of God just hit me, dropped me to my knees. And that's where I was confronted that what's been getting in the way for this not to happen more often. And I'm not saying try to find you guys a religious experience, not try to hype yourself up in emotion so that, you know, when you come to that place, you're falling before him as some religious act. Genuinely, let the Holy Spirit touch your life as he comes through in the word. It's where it just drops you. It makes you want to tear your clothes. And if you do, hey, why not? Let's bring that back, right? (laughs) But it's an awesome place that Josiah was and such a humble place. And that's what God always went. And he says, every time these guys were doing wrong in God's eyes, I said that they did not humble themselves before the Lord. That was their main problem. They didn't humble themselves. And here Josiah is. He could have went on and said, God, you see, I've been doing great things for you. Instead, he gets before him and he humbles himself. And as we go into this next part, this part three, which I got to skip ahead a little bit because I'm running out of time. This part three is where we see the mercy of God poured out. One of my favorite parts, of course, of repentance, right? (laughs) This is the awesome part. So he falls down before the Lord. He rips his clothes because of what's read. And so in verse 22, it says, so Hilkiah and those the king appointed went to uh, Hulda, or Hulda, uh, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, the son of Hashra, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter and spoke to, spoke to her in that effect. And she answered them, it says, thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell me the, tell the man who sent you to me Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book which you have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. Now, that's exactly what was deserved, wasn't it? God had said over and over and over again through different people, this is what's going to happen to you if you guys don't turn, and they wouldn't turn. They kept going into their sin, even worse than the people that were there before. So this is exactly what they needed to have. But then it comes that word but, right, in verse 26. But as for the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender... And you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants. And you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back the word of the king. Now, it didn't spare Judah from the judgment because later on his sons end up falling into sin as well and going and then they get taken off to Babylon. It still all happens, but look what happens with the people at this time and with Josiah. They're spared, aren't they? They get to live out the rest of their life in peace. Why? Because he was a great king? Because he made big moves? Because he dealt with sin in his life? What it was, he humbled himself before the Lord. And the thing is, is when we humble ourselves before God, guess what? Sin gets taken care of. Because sin is usually about you. Sin is about us. 
It's about us being in control and having our own will and saying, God, I don't want your will for my life. I'd rather do this. This is more important to me. This is who I am and I feel that I am. This is where I find my identity is in this. And it's saying to God that I'm not gonna humble myself before you. Every one of those kings that didn't humble themselves before him is because they built up all these idols and these altars. Amongst the world, they were great men. In God's eyes, destruction was at their door. Josiah steps up, completely falls in love with the Lord, does awesome works in the Lord, and now he gets this awesome story that encourages us to repent. That's what repentance looks like, guys. Getting rid of that, letting the Lord build the house, and then looking forward to that mercy that he's going to pour out. Thank the Lord that he has that mercy he gives to us, right? And that last little part, just to close up, is we get to see the effect repentance has on us, we see that, but also it has an effect on others, doesn't it? In that last little part in 29, it says, Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which he had found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of the Jerusalem did, not, did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. And it goes on, you guys can read later in chapter 35, but he goes and he reinstitutes Passover. And it says that it was a Passover unlike any other. In verse 18, there had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet. And none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah kept with the priests and the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present and in the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This guy went all out. He was like, it's all Jesus. It's all God for me. It's all God. It's all about him. It's all about his ways, his statutes, his feasts. It's all, everything's about him. And not only is it going to be about him, but we're going big. The worship team wants to come on up. We'll close with this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 34. I don't know if I gave that one to you, Chris, didn't I? Okay, sorry, I forgot. Get it to you next service. So I'm going to turn over there, 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 13, or actually 15, sorry, I wrote down wrong. 15, verse 34. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Josiah went out and found that knowledge, didn't he? He started seeking after God, and God revealed it to him and gave him his word. And it put him in a place where he fell down and humbled himself before the Lord, right on his face, ripped his clothes, to show that absolutely God is worth it. And so the same thing goes out to you guys. I'd encourage you, awake to righteousness, guys. Don't keep returning back to that sin that you keep returning back to if you have something like that. If it is something like that, guys, go and beat it. 
go destroy it, go turn it to dust, go put it over those graves and bury it, it's done. It's done. He's given you all the materials, everything, the power, everything you need to do that. You still have to walk in that. Don't think if you sit around that all of a sudden it's going to do it itself. That doesn't happen. Their action has to take place. Paul talks about that all the time. That he disciplines the body, right? Praise God we have him and we have his power to be able to do that. He's given us everything we need here in the scriptures to be able to encourage us that we just follow after his ways and humble ourselves before him. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for your word and your scriptures, Lord, and I pray that we would come before you and we would humble ourselves, Lord. Just even this last bit, if anybody's been talking to you through this service and just talking about their sin, and Lord, I know because I've been there and I still am so many times where I just plead that you would take this from me, but yet I won't submit it to you. I plead that you'll have the desires go away from me, but yet I won't put them on your altar and I won't sacrifice them. Lord, I just ask as this last bit, as we go through these songs and, and even the last part, Lord, where people would come up and have prayer or they would just come up front just to be before you, Lord, just to get right back where they need to be with you, that that repentance would come, that that turning away and they would see this beautiful God with awesome ways and they'd want to follow after you. Anybody here too that does not know you yet, Lord, I pray that they would find somebody Lord, that they would call out to your name, that if they need somebody to help them and walk through it, Lord, that you would give them the courage to do that, even if they're new. Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your spirit and that you would have people come to you and that they would turn. Lord, help us to humble ourselves. Show us, put that mirror right in front of us and show us where we're dirty and where it needs to be taken care of, Lord. And we thank you so much for your son and covering us with his blood that we get to come before you, that he leads us into triumph that we have victory in Jesus, Lord, and we praise you for that. Thank you so much. Amen.